to episode 216 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Join me this time. As usual, I have Jordan Tresky. I was leaving oh. a space for you, Jordan, so we didn't trample over everything, you know? Hello! <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. And joining us this time, we also have a relatively regular guest on Win 6, Rowan Cotty. Hello, Rowan. Hello. See, there we go. If Jordan could just have picked up on the signal, we would have got everyone saying hello. Everything would have gone smoothly, you know, much like the book's coaching search is going, right? Very smooth. Uh, we're here to talk a little bit about the book's coaching search. Um, we've been, as we promised we would at the end of last week's episode, kind of just take our time with this, seeing how things unfold. They've been unfolding a little slower than we maybe thought they would have. So there hasn't been a whole lot of major change. We don't have a whole kind of swell. There aren't new candidates to talk about from when Jordan and I broke them all down last week. Um, we don't even have a really concrete shortlist of who it's going to. But there have been kind of little details, little things that have happened throughout the week that either directly or indirectly now have a pretty significant bearing on the book's coaching search. So we're going to talk about all of that. We will then also take some questions in the mailbag. Some of you managed to answer the very impromptu call for questions, and we will reward you with substandard answers, I can assure you. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's talk about the coaching search. I'm going to I'm gonna start this one by tossing it right over to you, Rowan, because we, we haven't heard from you on this. So just to give a general sense, just to give an overview and to kind of dip our toe back into this. We're not going to argue whether it's big toe or pinky toe, Jordan. But to dip a toe into this, how are you feeling about things so far in terms of how it's unfolding, in terms of the candidates we've seen involved? What's your general impression of, I guess, the first 10 days or so now, I think we are, into the book's coaching search? You know, I didn't think I'd be saying this before like the entire coaching process started, but I'm actually feeling pretty good about the coaching search. Uh, just in general, I mean, it's going how you would expect a normal head coaching search to go. The general manager is interviewing candidates, and these candidates are highly regarded assistants, former head coaches, and obviously GM John Horst has been interviewing them and he will be preparing a short list according to uh, ESPN and Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports to give a final list to the to uh, meet with the ownership group and that's usually how like normal teams conduct interviews but I think we're just not used to the Bucks acting like a normal team in terms of like big uh, decisions about the organization but 
I actually feel relatively well about that. The candidates, most like mostly the candidates, as you guys have discussed, have been pretty good. And they're taking their time. They're not rushing into big decisions, though, as we can talk about in a bit. There may be some other factors that may, you know, sort of need lead to uh, them expediting their co coaching search. And I don't know. I'm I'm actually feeling pretty good about this. I'm I've like I'm pretty confident that they're not going to screw it up. That's where they get you. <laughs> <laughs> you felt relatively good a week ago, Jordan. Are you still feeling relatively good? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously, as we'll get into, uh, some developments, you know, it's bubbling up. There, there might be a bidding war. War, everybody. War. Bidding war. But uh, other than that, I mean, this is precisely what you want to see. You don't want them to... You want to vet every possible angle and, you know, see uh, what every candidate has to offer. And, you know, we were talking about this last year and then things went awry pretty quickly. But that's at least we're not at that point yet. There's still time. I will say that there's still time for things to go awry. But we're everything's running smoothly so far. I, I think there's one big difference um, between last year and this year and that's just, it is the position because when you're searching for a GM, you don't have your intermediary who can run the search and then present ownership with the names. Um, if you do have that person, that person's name is actually Rod Thorne, which is problematic in its own right. So, There's a thorn in my side, I'll tell you that much. You're not the only one, Jordan. Um, that's something that is a major difference this year because whether people like John Horst, which I not entirely sure how many people do or people load John Horst, which quite a lot of people seem to do. Um, it's it's honestly right now it's hard to say whether that's with or without merit, but whatever side anyone falls on, he is running a process and he's making decisions. And I think it is reassuring to see he's being allowed to do that. I, I don't think we can have our cake and eat it and say, oh, you know, everything they did last summer is wrong. And then when there is one person running a process, it's not just one person. Obviously, Assistant GM Milt Newton and the rest of the front office team, I'm sure, have been involved in the first round of interviews. But when you have one level of your organization are dealing with the first step and the level you want to, you know, who's going to identify the coaches? The basketball-minded people, that, that's a good start. And that's kind of what we've seen happen. It's again, of course, it's always up for debate of, oh, well, is John Horst the right person for that? It's old news, I'm afraid. There's nothing there's nothing to do about that. There's no real indication for as much as it's been a very uh, significant topic of discussion on Books Twitter recently. There's no reason to believe that's going to change. He's been tasked with running the search, and so far, I think he's done what you would expect of any organization, any executive around the league to do. So. Yeah, we're now coming up to that second stage. That is, of course, something that we learned in the time since we last recorded, Jordan, and that there was that kind of divide where Horst and his team were running this first stage and ownership would only get involved then when there was three to four candidates remaining. Um, that in itself, again, for me is promising, very promising. It's kind of, it's getting rid of a lot of the uncertainty over, you know, um, which could still could still come up, but over, well, you know, which owner has the final say on this? Are we voting? Are we voting two to one yet, or is there still the casting vote involved? Could still become a factor. Could still become a factor at the worst possible time. 
but at least knowing that okay well someone can make a decision as to who have we got you know who are the best basketball people to bring in you're instantly narrowing down the possibility of a disastrous hire and honestly through the names we heard um there is a clear scale where you can say okay i think this person is a much better candidate than this person i don't think there is a candidate who's just flat out bad though you know if i i think monty williams has been shaped like that for a lot of people considering what could have happened considering what we've come from if monty williams is the worst case scenario don't get me wrong it's probably not great not necessarily what the books need but it's not someone who's actively going to make everything go backwards immediately you know it's it's there's there's a degree in this there's a kind of a, a way of checks and balances in that the front office are going to give names to ownership and they are the names they're picking from um it doesn't mean they won't pick from outside of that list like happened last year after the interview process but i think up to this point you'd have to say it's kind of going as it should um well or not well that's up for debate but how would you expect the process to run you'd want candidates identified you'd want them thoroughly interviewed vetted assessed and then you involve the highest levels of your organization to make a decision and i think that's what we're building towards here um the part that we probably need to get into pretty much right now and um, before we talk any further about this is the events from around the nba in the last week and that's of course there was already this uh, somewhat competitive coaching market um, as in lots of teams were looking for coaches. But since we last recorded, the Pistons... Actually, that was while we last that was, recorded. Yeah, that was a while. Pistons, Farstam and Gundy. And then I believe it was on Wednesday. Um, could be Tuesday or Thursday. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But middle of last week, the Raptors then parted ways with Dwayne Casey. So all of a sudden, two more jobs in the market. And the Raptors being the most relevant one, because as we had this kind of consensus over the last few months of, well, you know, the Milwaukee job is the one that everyone wants. It's the one where you're ready to be relevant right now. You've got a superstar. You can go and build something. Maybe not the top end potential long term in Toronto, but you've got a really good infrastructure in place. You've got a team with an incredibly proven track record of winning, at least in the regular season. and. There is a lot there for, you know, okay, well, if you believe in yourself and if you end up delivering on it, I mean, they're a team that's close. You may not have to do all that much, but if you can be the coach who gets them over the hump, that's a big deal. It would be a big deal for anyone's reputation. All of a sudden, there is a rival. So as Jordan mentioned, alluded to with his his bidding war earlier, that is leaving us in a slightly different place than we were. Well, the Knicks offered competition in terms of the Knicks had a job open and the books had a job open. The Knicks couldn't offer a lot of what the books could in terms of, okay, where's the franchise heading or what pieces do you have to build something with? How significant is this and how much does the the tread of the Raptors concern either of you? Do you is it really going to make a difference? Is it going to shape things? I mean, the other thing probably worth noting... Um, Matt Velasquez of the Journal Sentinel reported earlier in the week that the books were probably going to consider another assistant at the end of interviewing their already announced candidates, or the already reported candidates, I should say. We never really heard any more about that. I would say it's not impossible that it may have been a Raptors assistant. 
I just get like John Horse, like <laughs> without Navy the assistant, you're like, oh, here we go. That's the, that's gonna be the coach. <laughs> it's Greg Foster. Is that what you're saying, Jordan? The boss, boss one plays Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> well, potentially that's another element that could factor into it. Maybe the books were interested in Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse, in particular, is a, has been a popular name amongst books Twitter. Um, he certainly got great credentials, and I think he will end this summer in a head coaching job somewhere. This has been an interesting wrinkle to that because even they may stay in Toronto and all kind of move up a seat. So with all of this, the Raptor situation, you know, it has something to do with it. But are we worried about, you know, the Bucks picking someone and the Raptors beating them to the punch? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that because, uh, well, first off, the Bucks are already, they already are in the process and... Like the Raptors are just starting because they just parted ways with their head coach. And I don't know, this may just be my personal opinion, but I don't think the Raptors job would be more attractive per se than the Bucks job. It seems like this past season, they almost did have a new coach in the sense that Dwayne Casey sort of like changed up his entire system or maybe not his entire system, but he made significant tweaks. And they still couldn't really get over the hump that you were talking about. So what necessarily would a new coach bring to that roster that would necessarily push them over the hump? And that's that's a tough part of it. Uh, I don't know. I think that's... I think the Raptors really, they're never going to say it, but I think they really must know internally and be planning for this that they need to be in the spot where they're treading being good now and building their next stage. I, I think I think that's where they are. Now, they may ultimately decide at some point to pivot more towards one or the other, and that's likely going to be back towards rebuilding. But there has to be an element of, you know, well, what can we do here? We have tried a couple of different approaches, and it's resulted in the same thing. Um, the, the part that interests me, though, is... Like, we can talk about, okay, well, the Raptors can't go... They, they've shown they can't beat LeBron. It's tough for them to really just based on that kind of kind of abandon or blow it up or even as a coach, because I mean, part of this that we could easily overlook is as LeBron is a free agent. What if LeBron does go west this summer and all of a sudden you're the Raptors, you're the best team in the regular season. OK, the Celtics are going to be much better, are already really good. The Sixers are going to be better. The books will like to be better, but you're looking at getting back into a, you know, conference semifinals and not having to play LeBron that's a possibility no by no means a guarantee but it is a possibility how would the Raptors feel if they moved away from that and that was to become the case or if you were a top coach you had the pick between the two you know Raptors are Raptors were close this year and it, it is kind of interesting to see them just get destroyed like that again but they were close they're so much closer than that indicates I don't know I I certainly I would still be looking at not just LeBron. I think LeBron is the very obvious thing that stands out for the Raptors, but generally the way their team is built. I mean, they need a lot of help if they're to get the championship out of Larry and DeRozan. As your two best players, I think that's just fact. They're really good players. They're not good enough, though, to be your leading guys and win a championship unless you get to look your way, unless you're um, the, was it 2009 Mavs? Was it earlier than that? I don't know why I don't know that one. Um, 2004. 21. Was it 2011? 
2004 Pistons. Um, unless you're you're a team like either of them, you know, where you just need everything to fall into place. That's a tough element for Toronto. The competitiveness matters, though, and particularly, I think, obviously, what we're going to move on to here is it's Mike Budenholzer's the the relevant party in discussing both of these and. He left the Hawks and bristled at the Hawks' ownership, wanting to go full rebuild in part because he wanted to be good again. He wanted to be good again now. I mean, the Raptors do give you that chance. You're going to have a good regular season. It's just, would you rather have a bit more? Books aren't a project, but something where there is at least a possibility you can plot out a path to success that goes beyond LeBron and beyond the prime even of, key figures on the Warriors or the Rockets, whatever it is, you know, I think that's, that's the interesting part of it. What were you seeing that, that battle, that war, Jordan? Well, it's weird because obviously there's the Budenholzer component to it with the Bucks and the Raptors, but the Raptors, like, I don't know, reading all of it and digesting all the information since he was fired, you know, late last week or something like that. And you just hear these like little details and then you take it into account that, you know, we talk about Nick Nurse, Rex Kalami is another assistant that's getting interviewed. Jerry Stackhouse is their G League coach who, you know, won a G League title, went to the finals this year. So they have like three in-house candidates that seem like kind of like a logical successor. And when Casey was fired to see Budenholzer's name, I, I mean, it makes some sense because there's a lot of shared. I think him, Budenholzer and Casey are very similar in ways where they're kind of, you know, they have like this pedigree of developing players and all this stuff and honestly i mean that's the thing about toronto is that i I we probably talked about this like you know privately or after the news happened but like they do have a a culture instilled and obviously there's a lot of flack about like oh they don't really have a true superstar obviously derozan even lowry's getting up there in age those aren't you know kind of the the you know logical number ones on a team but you look at like the pipeline of guys that like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, uh, OG Ananobi, you go on and on, Pold, or Pertle, Jakob Pertle. Um, they oh, have right. kind of like the second team um, that would make a logical fit from Boonholzer. Um, But as it relates to this, uh, this kind of, you know, I guess standoff or whatever, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, which way you'd lean if you're Mike Boonholzer. Honestly, because I think I I don't know the you could look at the Raptors being said or you could look at the Raptors and say like oh they're one step away or one kind of you know LeBron leaving to go west and them being right there with like the Boston's or the you know the 76ers or something like that but there is still like this other part about it where they're really capped out they they don't have much flexibility to kind of maneuver their roster unless that they really like swing big and obviously i think I'll, I'll, as a lot of people have said if you're firing Dwayne casey you're thinking that this roster's still you know intact to maybe do something maybe go to another conference finals or even be you know the run, eastern conference runner up at some point so i don't know that's it's that's a whole other kind of uh ball of wax to kind of wrap your mind around in that angle I think the thing that uh, it's been discussed a lot, and uh, maybe I just follow quite a lot of Raptors people, which I do, and it's worth noting they they all seem to feel very strongly that this is not coming from the Raptors, that Masai Ujiri's, you know, 
stuff does not leak and this could well be a leverage play on Bud's part for his negotiations with the books and that's entirely possible and it would be a pretty strong leverage play to have a franchise like the Raptors all of a sudden come into play like this um the other element though that the part that isn't discussed you hear oh well what's what's Budenholzer going to do for the Raptors I I I think one thing I've learned this summer is maybe I shouldn't be surprised because he's coaching Atlanta for the last five years, but but is underrated. Like he, he really is underrated from an X's and O's perspective. But the part of that that's maybe more interesting in this discussion is why would Budenholzer want to go to a situation that is kind of like the Hawks of two years ago? I, I think that's where it's at. He's not even earlier down the line in that it's you're at the point where either contracts have been signed for your guys who are starting to get older and you don't have cap space it's okay where are we wriggling to or what are we finding that pushes us over the edge i think that is that's kind of part of the the difficulty and i would say from his perspective now to play devil's advocate to that um say if the kind of things that brian windhorse talked about in the jump not so long ago were true and that coaches have reservations about the books because of the ownership arrangement because of some of the things that have gone before well toronto i mean the raptors have been a very stable organization you know it's it's not something where you look to and you go okay well i'm gonna have to worry about this or that you could just go there and coach and that may be appealing it may be even more appealing to budenholzer who's had his own issues with two ownership groups it's fair to say Issues is maybe the wrong way of putting it, but he's he's experienced a whole bunch of different ways where ownership kind of end up influencing what he was trying to do as a coach in Atlanta. Maybe that has some appeal. I mean, at the end of the day, the players, I mean, Giannis on his own is probably more of a more of a pull to take the books job than Larry, DeRozan, whatever. You know, I, I just think it it is that simple. Um, of course, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN has kind of fueled this um, as we as we record, which is on Monday. I think about what day we were on there, but he has referred to Bud as the focus, as the centerpiece of both the books and Raptor searches. Um, Matt Velasquez of the Journal Sentinels has kind of come out and said the books are going to speak to Bud again on Tuesday. And I believe it was Mark Stein, the New York Times, also reported the Raptors will talk to Nick Nurse and Rex Kalamian on Tuesday, which I mean, I was a little bit reassured of just that they will be doing things on Tuesday as well. So there's not this getting beaten to the punch. But the interesting element of this is the, you know, the Raptors aren't doing the extensive search. And maybe part of that is because their internal candidates are so strong, as you mentioned, Jordan. They don't necessarily need to look all that far they're probably better equipped to act in a real hurry than the books are. And then the thing we also have to consider with this, and we haven't really talked about so far is what if the books aren't fully sold on Bud yet? I mean, ownership haven't seen them yet. And that can open up a whole can of worms, you know, Um, there are going to be multiple candidates. You'd assume at least two to three candidates who will make to that second stage of interviews we don't really know for sure yet as much as John horse may like, Bud as the guy that he will be the book's preferred candidate. There's still kind of a lot in flux here. Um, it's just to me, it's the timelines that are becoming really interesting. I, I don't think the books have been, I don't think the books have generally been as slow as 
they're made out to be in conducting this. I mean, if it went really quickly, we'd be criticizing them for rushing the most important decision they have going. I think now they're they're being very diligent about it, and they've had the misfortune of other teams coming in and getting involved. We've already seen two candidates hired for jobs. Um, not that I think James Rager or Dave Fisdale being hired elsewhere is the end of the world. Is there is there an extra degree of urgency they need to act on now, though? Or if we're if we're not necessarily concerned about you know the Raptors' influence in terms of maybe taking away a top candidate, if we, if we felt confident, which I, I don't we're entirely confident, but if we felt confident that the appeal of the books job speaks for itself, are we then also confident enough that the books search can resolve itself in a timely enough fashion not to potentially lose out on a candidate of choice? Well, I mean, there's also the element of saying if, like, let's say Mike Budenholzer, for example, wants the Raptors job and he wants to, like, oh, wait it out if he's, let's say, given a formal offer, does that factor into whether you actually want to give him a formal offer in the sense that, of course, he's got to keep his options open, but if he's not, like, he's still, like, he's been given, like, an okay by, like, an ownership group of Milwaukee, but then he's also, like, I kind of want to go interview with the Raptors. How does that factor into it too? That's also, that's at least my initial reaction. I was going to tweet this out, but I, I saved this for the podcast. I, it reminds me of, yeah. Sometimes I, I save my, my gems for audio only. You should probably do um, that more often because I know how long your tweets take to compose. Yes. <laughs> you save yourself I, a lot of time if you just wait. I need my quill, my, them my out. quill pen. That's how, yeah, I, I don't know why I brought that up. Anyway, it's like the end of Air Bud where oh, the judge has. <laughs> I thought Air this Bud was is, real. I thought this was something real. Air Bud is standing in between uh, his old abusive owner, the clown, with his. Uh, rolled up newspaper and then there's josh the the relationship that was formed with pudding cups is this real uh, is this i haven't seen the movie is this you haven't I, seen yeah, everybody? I, I, I haven't seen everybody either no. oh my god ah uh, well yes I mean, sorry spoiler alert <laughs> the movie's like 21 years old this is how the movie gets decided and then you know he goes he does, bites doesn't bud talk I know he plays basketball. Quite no, he plays a bunch of other sports too. Yeah, he's he's a he's a multi-sport athlete. He's a regular Deion Sanders or um, Eric Tim Bledsoe. Did Eric Bledsoe play football? <laughs> Eric Bledsoe played football. Oh, what, John, what? Yeah. he God. did. Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe. No, I, wasn't oh. a joke. I didn't mean okay. professionally. I mean, not everyone can be here, but but yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. anyway thanks, Jordan. <laughs> I don't know but I do, I do, I do have one thing, one other like snarky but actually relevant piece of information. I I can see, well, I no, I will no, it doesn't make sense. Never mind. Go continue. It was just another joke, really. Right? I was, I was just gonna say Mike Budenholzer could be this year's Arturus Arturus Karnasovas. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I get that and I recoil very quickly. I mean, and this or, would kind of be it of having the interview and, you know, then all of a sudden another team decides, oh, let's act on this. The only difference is 
you know who actually could be Nick Nurse. Nurse. Yes, exactly. Mm. Um, that is almost a replica of the situation. So, yeah, um, we'll we'll see how all of that unfolds. What sort of timeline? I don't want to say who do you think is going to be the head coach because a lot of weird things could go on to ultimately shape that decision where we're at right now. How soon are both of you expecting us to have a new head coach in situ for the books? Give it about a week. So, I don't know. I feel like a week is it will resolve pretty soon, I think. Pretty soon. See, but this is important because I don't. I'm not asking for a name, but I think if, it, if it's seven days, it's not the name that we're leading with at the minute. I just, I, this is why I'm asking it this way. Jordan, what's your timeline? Wednesday, 6.57 p.m. Woj, <laughs> after eating a, a solid that's, that's steak. That's too late for me. I might be asleep. Well, I'll, I'll write the... Europe. Uh, yeah, Europe. Yeah. I'm up. But after Woj eats a hearty dinner... Maybe a steak, maybe some mashed potatoes, maybe some, you got to have some greens. You got to, you know, a steak. Is that steak? S-T-A-K-E? Or oh, S-T-A-K-E? yeah. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> I thought you were doing that on purpose. No, it was that. Well, that was Woj. So Woj is not getting the ownership stake unless if, you know, he throws his hat in the ring and we get another John Horse situation. They do look so, no, they don't look similar. But yeah, 657 Wednesday night. Uh, well, the Bucks will reportedly be, uh, you know, have a coach. I don't know. Reportedly, are you reporting? <laughs> I'm breaking news right now. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very quick, but I could be wrong. I, I think, I think Thursday is probably about as late as we get to without hearing a report that it might be like, um, Brago with the Hornets was interesting because I thought that was done and it was like three days later. Yeah, I was like, was why is Woj tweeting the same thing? Where he actually tweeted they were they were working on coming to terms on a deal and then they came to terms on a deal. So I would expect by say Thursday the books should be working to come to terms on a deal. Um who that is with, who knows? I mean, but it could be it could Josh be Brogan. any of the other candidates, or maybe yes, it could be who's that? young-faced young man you know in the middle of all this in the background but in the center of the background ready ready to step forward let's hope not things are going (laughs) as smooth as i would have hoped for so far let's let's move it on to the mailbag and we'll have a lot more of all of this kind of stuff to talk about there from at joe sterndorf who are the guys you're disappointed haven't been part of the book's head coaching search tony bennett nick nurse then he has in brackets, and you know, I think the brackets here are important. Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not disappointed. I think people have found enough ways to be completely out of their mind about all of this without the inclusion of uh, Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy. Um, I, I think there is reason why people could be disappointed in there not being more assistance involved in it and yet i also understand why the books may not be looking to go that route considering just how important you know getting this right is um even the best assistants are going to come at a risk if they haven't coached the nba before i mean sure there are cases where yeah that can work out really well uh like, like budenholzer and there are also cases where it may not work out very well so it's 
that's I mean nurse would be good um maybe they've tried that though maybe they have and even a little bit further back you know the right if the writing was on the wall in Toronto you could easily approach Nick nurse or exclaim and they'll be like eh not right now thanks because I mean if they can get the job and in the organization they've helped the shape why wouldn't they take that one um Tony Bennett I was a big Tony Bennett disciple for a long time. It's not surprising that his name isn't in the mix after Virginia's tournament. But the other element of all, I mean, we haven't heard any college coaches. And I think part of that is, you know, it's tough to it's tough to project when college coaches are interested in an NBA job and when they won't be. Um, I know there's lots of books fans who would have liked Jay Wright to be considered. Jay Wright, Tony Bennett, whoever else you want to add in may have been approached and may have just said, thanks, but no thanks. There, there is that element of college coaches like to coach in college. You know, it's, uh, they get paid just about as well to do so, if not better in some cases. Yeah, and especially you can get the element of it took, I mean, this is a drastic example, but like Brad Stevens came from the collegiate level, but even it took time for him to develop. And I don't think the Bucks necessarily have that time. Mm-hmm. And you could also be in the situation where you get Fred Hoiberg, which I isn't mean, necessarily better. Even Hoiberg, I think, has improved. But again, as another it example, of it, it took him at least a year to adjust. Is he there two years now? Is it three years? I think right. it's three. Right. It took him at least two years, maybe. And it took a team that had no pressure before you could see a lot of what they were going for. Yeah, it, that is that is a big part of all of it, and I think of the risk is um, not just with Giannis, with the fact that the owners are opening up their brand new arena and they want to fill it out every night and kind of create a feel-good environment around the team that it's, you know, yeah, you, you want to get this right. You want someone who is at worst a steady pair of hands but also has the capability to push you to the next level. Um, any names that really jump out to either of you that you're surprised at? I, one that actually, Stackhouse, I, I think would have been, I, I don't know why he's not getting more conversation around his name generally in these kind of head coaching discussions. I don't know if he's the right coach, if he's the type of coach you want in a head coaching position. I do think he has earned consideration though. And I mean, it's, it's another situation where, um, Obviously, the Becky Hammond situation has uh, has led to a lot of very questionable discussion, but it's another situation where you know a G League coach to a head coach, it's kind of feels like there's an element of just no, no, that's not the done thing here. There's kind of it's another way where I think the conventions of the NBA could do with being challenged because if Stackhouse was you know if he was doing that in Europe, I think he may even have a better chance if he was making. A similar impact on an assistant coaching spot in the NBA staff, he'd certainly have got a chance. So it's kind of like because he's in the G League, he's not getting the noise he's getting. It's that to me is kind of obviously very different in terms of a former NBA player who has had a lot easier. But there is an element of you know you could compare it to the Becky Hammond situation in terms of the NBA says, "Oh, coaches are hired this way, so we're going to overlook this kind of candidate at all." May not be the right guy, but as you mentioned earlier, Jordan won a G League championship one year, got to the finals the next year. That is more impressive even than it sounds because you can't build a G League dynasty with the same sort of players. You know, that involves managing to rebuild and constantly adjust and get something. I would have liked him to get an interview, but not a whole lot of other guys who are really kind of coming to mind for me right now. 
Yeah, I'm surprised just uh, what you're saying about Jerry Stackhouse. I'm really surprised he didn't get an interview in Atlanta. I especially thought like, especially like a rebuilding situation would be perfect for him. But I'd have given him the Grizzlies job. Honestly, I oh yeah, uh, I'm, sure. the only thing that I I really don't understand. It's probably the most puzzling thing of the off season to me yet. Um, it's just like hiring uh, Earl Watson. Earl Watson is what it's like hiring. I'm I'm not saying Bickerstaff isn't the better coach and he is worked up in a different way, but there's an element of oh, okay, players like him. I, I don't know. It's it's a weird one to me. But yeah, there are situations where I'd be like, yeah, okay, give it to this coach and see what happens. He should have been considered to me, but I don't know. Jordan? Uh, Rick Patino. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You never did this. What? You told me you had a list of coaches you didn't want. Oh, yeah. Is this still. It was that was the whole joke. Basically. It was gonna be. It was gonna be like Rick. It was gonna be a bunch of fictional characters, and the only real person would be would have been Rick Petito. Well, that's underwhelming. Jordan built this up with me for so long. At one point, I thought we were getting an article from Jordan on the coaches he didn't want oh, to no. have, and he told me, "No, no, there's there's nothing like that." It's like, <laughs> but okay. Um, I live to underwhelm. You said that, not me. Um, from a Berlick fifty four. How do you think the dynamic of the team will be impacted if Bud chooses Toronto and Milwaukee will very publicly be forced to settle for their second choice? That would be a bit embarrassing. Um, I think there is a danger in, as I said, he may not be the first choice yet. He hasn't had ownership yet. And I mean, I think the people who are most concerned about this will be the people who should be most aware of, you know, that could change a lot. There's already going to be a feeling that he was the guy, though. So even if they decided not to, I can't help but feel there may be an element unless they get to the hiring first um, of, you know, oh, they lost out on that. I don't think it impacts anything internally. I think externally and even amongst the an incredibly paranoid and on-edge fan base, it would be not a great thing to happen. But I, I don't know what it would do internally. I mean, I think it'd be sort of not necessarily impacting the team dynamic, but necessary. I think it would be more of like an image concern more than anything. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, it's the narrative around this offseason mostly has been that the Bucks job has been the most attractive job for the head coaching market. And if Bud, let's say, chooses Toronto, it's just, it's not going to bode well. People are going to wonder what's actually wrong with Milwaukee, which, you know, a lot of things, but, you know. Uh, People tend to ignore those in sort of the national scale, and that can be sort of amplified. Yeah, the optics are definitely at play here. You could see, I could see like turning, tuning in on the jump, and if Budenholzer, you know, spurns the Bucks, and that's going to be wait, like, wait, you're saying I told you so, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. After that, like last week or two weeks ago, where he, you know, had that the that exchange about the ownership and all that whole dynamic. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean that as any sort of you know shot at Brian Windhorst. I, I think that would generally be something. I think it can be used for whatever you want to use it for. It would be the thing that makes me uncomfortable about that. In terms yeah. of it would be, oh, look, a horse failed. Horse failed with this. And the ownership continued to fail because they hired horse. And then this happened. And, you know, there are those elements to it. And 
yeah, I, I think it just creates a whole level of restlessness, both in terms of people who want the books to do well and people who are impartial but feel like there is something going on. It would feed into agendas. I mean, if he is their top guy and they don't get him, that well, that is disappointing because the person they felt was best to help them reach the next level is gone. That would that would hurt, but I feel like we wouldn't even get to that element of the discussion because we'd be too busy on playing, you know, the blame game. I, I think that's kind of where it would end up, which, yeah, wouldn't be great. Certainly wouldn't be fun. I'm not I'm not particularly interested in that timeline becoming a reality. Um, from at I'm the second S underscore Curry, if Jabari stays, shouldn't he be starting by next season? Books not only need a good center, but a backup power forward too, unless they're going to give Ton Maker his minutes as a power forward. Um, I don't think so. But I don't know. I don't know. This is, I think, something interesting and maybe something we haven't all given a lot of thought to, but because there is going to be a new coach, the books that we know are not going to be the books that open up a season in October. A new coach could see the lineup completely different. He could see the roster completely differently. And it is difficult to kind of parse out of that. Well, what are they, what are they really going to do there? Um, I don't know. Personally, I'm. I wouldn't be starting Jabari. I haven't seen what I'd need to see to say, yeah, start Jabari. Um, but then, at this point, I'm probably not all keen on resigning him either. So, it's a difficult one. I don't know. There's there's no easy answer to it. He could he could well start, but I I think the point in the question is even a good one that. You know, they not only need a center, but they need a backup four too. I mean, Jabari can be your backup four. He could be your backup three. He could be a spot starter. I think part of the appeal from the book side would be versatility and having someone who could plug into roles and different kind of responsibilities. I also think that's part of the problem is Jabari hasn't voiced a whole lot of willingness in terms of, you know, oh, I could be the backup three. I could be the backup four. Um, I'll take whatever role you need to help the team win. That's not the vibe I've got. And that to me is a little bit troubling. Yeah, I personally, I think he should, if let, this is assuming he stays, but he would be better suited off the bench. I mean, just giving him starter level minutes when he's not necessarily like engaged most of the time does not seem like it'll go particularly well. So. I don't know. As you were saying, versatility plus, like, he hasn't necessarily, in his time, he hasn't really earned starters minutes. Yeah, I would agree. And whatever coach, can, coaching candidate or whoever they uh, lock in on and acquire, they're going to have input about what to do with Jabari, because that is obviously the biggest decision outside of, you know, the coaching hire. So, that's still big if, if he's still around. Um, but I, I don't think I don't think there's we've saw much of anything to suggest that he's a, you know, for sure starter in the you know in the team starting lineup come start of next season. Yeah, I it's very much uncertainty. I, I think the new coach will be decisive. If the new coach wants to Barry Parker around, I think he may be back. If the new coach is all not that keen on it or sees the team operating in a different way, he won't be back. I, I do think that's something that as much as the front office are going to kind of have their own ideas, well. You're bringing a new coach in. They're going to build their own team. They're going to build their own system, style of play, whatever it is. You're going to have to kind of listen to them and how they feel Jabari fits with all of that, unless you're just signing him to keep the asset, which 
if his price isn't all that high, could happen. They they could. I've talked about this before. I mean, it's part of the the biggest struggle I have in the idea of them just not bringing back Jabari is well, this was you know this was an asset at one point, um, possibly could be an asset again. So, are you losing him for nothing, or would they bring him back? And do you even does his value go up if you just bring him back? Is he motivated in any way? I think they're all big questions over Jabari at this point. Um, from at Mr. Jibs, do the books have a legitimate chance to catch up with the Sixers and Celtics, or are they doomed to third place for the next decade? Um, we, we talked a little bit about this recently. I feel they're going to be behind in like the raw, what have you got in the roster stakes? It's not necessarily the biggest problem, though. If you are If you're the third best team in a conference, you are right there ready for your opportunity. I mean... It could mean you come out of it with nothing, but it's not exactly the worst place to be. And I think at the moment, the challenge for the books would just be to be the next best team positioned behind them to begin with. So if there are injuries, if someone slips up, whatever it is, that that could be her year or you could take advantage. I mean, they could be the third best team and come out with the most championships if luck breaks their way. You know, it's that's something that they need to get to. But I, I, obviously the deck is stacked against them when... Both those teams have had so many shots at top picks in the, in the draft. They're continuing to have shots like that. They have more considerable trade assets. And the Bucks had their best player come in the middle of the draft, have no real time for rebuilding. It was like, we're rebuilding. Oh, wait a minute, we're back in the playoffs. And here they are. And they still kind of feel some of those effects. So Giannis being what Giannis is and becoming this so quickly hurt the Bucks. A little bit, as did the solid role player guys, um, like Dudley, like Pachulia, like Ersana Yasova, who led them to a good season in kids' first year. I mean, we can point to that now and say, well, would it have been better if they got another pick? You probably would have, but what can you do? I, I think for me, it's just about, well, can the books prove that they can be the third team behind Sixers and Celtics, that they can be the team ready to jump into a conference finals every year if something happens, or ready to push either of those teams in the conference semifinals every year, because then you're in the discussion, and you're kind of what they want to do, and as I'm sure Jordan will remind us here, this team still hasn't won a series. (laughs) They still haven't advanced past the first round, so kind of getting to a place where either of those other teams could be relevant in a bigger picture conversation, there's some steps to be taken first. Yeah, uh, just um, what you were saying about um, them not being able to get a new pick, like a n- another top pick in that first year of Jason Kidd's tenure with M- Milwaukee. I think that did kind of hurt them in necessarily like competing with the Celtics and the 76ers. But I will not, I'll say that was a good thing because we got the Mike Dunleavy Jr. incident out of it. So we can always be thankful for that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess, Ron. That's a that's an interesting perspective, but I'll I'll go with it for the sake of the job. Um, um, but in all seriousness, I think there will be like there will be like a not. I don't want to say it's like a big leap necessarily to catch up, like you were saying, Adam. But it's it'll be a little sizable because as we're seeing with Boston right now, they have they have talent up and down that roster. The thing like about from that, the, the thing about that too, though, sorry to cut across you, is no, they, go they have to. That's only there for a certain amount of time because then the cap yeah. becomes an issue. So those teams are going to be better in the short term, 
but the Bucks' first goal has to be being good enough that Giannis wants to stay beyond that, and when your cap clears up, that you make the right deals then. Like, as much as we can complain about deals that have happened, and I, I'm just I, I'm just generally very much over things in the past that have happened and continuing to be like, oh, if they only do this right, because it's just, it's gone. We can't do anything about it. I mean, the Bucks' goal is to be good enough, so Giannis wants to stay, and you've got another eight years? Yeah, eight years, right? of Yanis and whatever else you can build around it. That's the goal because the point comes where the Sixers, okay, they, they'll they still have Embiid, they'll still have Simmons, but what if Fultz pans out? Can they have Fultz as well? Can they have Saric, Covington, all these guys? It's like they you can't have a JJ Redick in there at 18 million or 19 million, whatever he was on. You know, that becomes a factor. And the Celtics, honestly, it's going to be a factor even sooner because... Once anyone comes up for free agency, they're very much in a tough spot and are probably trading guys. You know, so yeah, they might have, they might have to trade Gordon Hayward. No, they probably won't. But you know, who could. knows? Two years yeah. from now, they might decide that's the thing to do. Um, if they are more intent on Jalen Brown and whatever his next deal would be, or uh, Jason Tatum when it comes time to to extend him and get his next deal, it's there is an element of they're going to have to make decisions and any of those teams can make the wrong decision. It's not like they're good decisions to have because you're picking between good players, but all those little decisions, if you make one, that's just the wrong way. You know, you pick the guy who regresses as opposed to the one who kicks on or things can open up. But for now, the books, you know, objective has to be, well, be good, you know, <laughs> get into a position where all of that matters, where you can keep Giannis and you can worry about the decade rather than, next year i mean certainly until all those guys are on their next contracts the books are playing catch-up what they have to do is make sure they don't make a whole bunch of decisions that then make it impossible to gain advantage next time out cats up i don't what i don't even know what that was i don't know what you said it's like catch up and i said cats up they're playing catch up Right. Um, from <laughs> Joe Osterdorf, which books player has the most untapped potential? What changes will the next head coach need to make to get the most out of that player? Hmm. This is a good question, Joe. We're all looking uh, quite pensive right now, contemplating this. Um, maybe, maybe Thon? Maybe Giannis? <laughs> I don't think it's Giannis. That's fair. It could, I mean, if it is, well, great. I mean, let's start planning parades. <laughs> but I don't. I don't think it is Giannis. Um, Ton maybe, and if Ton's potential could be like what we dream of in our wildest dreams, um, that would also solve a lot of problems. It may be someone though who. It may be a Tony Snell or a Sterling Brown. It could, so, yeah, it could be like a smaller scale. It could be a, a Brogdon. Maybe Brogdon. It, it's it. Maybe, DJ Wilson. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't think his potential he was on the so far. So I forgot know. he was on the roster. It, it could be more than anything, you know. Oh, I I, I got the answer. Shabazz. Oh. <laughs> I was disappointed you were interrupting me, but you know now I can get on board with that. So let's talk about how Shabazz Muhammad can develop under the new coach. Um, no, in all seriousness, it's 
if they can find someone who's somewhat peripheral or is kind of just solid and make them be really good, really impactful, I mean, that's a massive difference. You know, Sixers are a good example for that. It's like, well, who's your Robert Covington? You know, yep. Um, who's, who's your, your TJ McConnell? It's really just all of those. I think the books have types that you could say are those players, but don't necessarily perform with the consistency you want. If a new like coach a, can, can get it out of all of those players, well, you're moving in the right direction. Like, let's say a player who is overseas, then in the G League, then sort of joins the team, that sort of thing? Uh, moving on. <laughs> From uh, MKE Robert, your minds may not be here yet. You're 100% right on this. But I've been thinking about players the books could use the mid-level exception, part of the mid-level exception on this summer. Anyone jump out to you? Wayne Ellington is someone that appeals to me. Um, my mind is not there. I've honestly, free agency happens. I mean, it's fair. It is difficult to not take these things one at a time uh, because there's a lot going on. And at the moment, I think my mind is free agency will become something when the coaching search part of my brain is you know done with that can become the free agency part of the brain because my i kind of do two of these things at once i think that's the realization here and the other one is draft at the moment so i'm getting my head in more of a draft space than a free agency space in part because the books can definitely do things in the draft where in free agency it could be tricky i mean wayne ellington if you get what wayne ellington has been this year the last couple of years that's a player that would have value for the books he may get more of that from some team on a short-term deal. I, I think he probably will. Um, he could be a J.J. Redick kind of deal candidate for some team. He's also 30 years old. I don't know. Um, also, a big part of for him has been the Miami culture is what's allowed him to be the player he is. Um, he was on... Wasn't that the breakaway, Jordan? Yes. Um, he spoke at length about, like, his body fat and things like that. The things they're really, really kind of obsessed over in Miami. And in the past, I don't know if we could contribute the books culture as being the same. Who knows? Maybe in the future it will be with a new coach, but I don't know. Maybe I, I, I honestly, I don't have alternatives in my head. I don't, I can't really dispute it. Cause I'm, I'm just not there yet. on free agency. Are, have either of you given any thought to free agency who could be mid-level kind of guys, anything like that? Uh, maybe Brooke Lopez. Maybe. maybe. I don't, I don't maybe. know. I, I don't actually dislike that. Um, I don't think he's probably getting a big, really big payday again. And I mean, he's got his big payday, so he can certainly afford to take a little bit less. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, That's an interesting name you threw out there, Ron. See, I have, I, have not, I don't even know who to think about here because I at the moment I'm kind of surface level on guys who are free agents because I just haven't thought about it. Yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, I can't really Seth Curry. Yeah, he's no. coming up on injury. Too, injury no. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I forget um, that. Yeah. I don't know. Jordan, anyone jumps out to you or I'm, I'm in the same mode as you. Cause yeah, I have my coaching brain. That's my left brain. Left <laughs> Left side of my, my my left brain. I have three brains. Um, <laughs> a left brain, a right brain, the center brain. Right? Yeah, exactly. So left brain is the coaching 
the shenanigans, coaching shenanigans. Right brain is the draft, and the center one is um, jokes. Jokes. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed that you've gotten each of your parietal lobes acting differently. Yeah. Yeah. See, we shouldn't make jokes like that when Rowan's on because he, he's just got to science it all up and washes every we're just like, left here going, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wait. I, Will Barton. How about Will Barton? He. Oh. I don't know. There's there's part of me that I, I think this is interesting in terms of not just free agents. Um, I'm I'm increasingly drawn to Will Barton type players in terms of whether it's the draft or I, I just I think the books need someone who can do that. Shabazz Muhammad. Um <laughs> that's kind of a joke. I, I do feel like there is there is oh. part of we've seen uh, really with Shabazz with Michael Beasley there is a there is a certain type of player just the score. You're not necessarily looking for them to be a key cog in what you're doing. Um, but the books do need some of that because when things bog down, they really, really bog down. So I'm increasingly interested in players who can just kind of burst through and do things. They don't have to be perfect players, but he would fit that bill. I just don't know what his free agency would be like. Uh, the Nuggets really love him. I don't know how they could bring him back considering all of the young guys they will eventually have to pay, but I'm increasingly interested in players of that type. I don't think that would be a bad thing for the books to find someone that they can be like, oh, hey, this guy can be on the bench, will be happy to be on the bench, and can come in and score and do positive things when we need him to. So, Michael Beasley, basically. Oh. I mean, that wasn't, that sounded like a negative kind of grown no. Sally from Jordan. That wasn't that was, was. it was a wistful grown. <laughs> very wistful. Um that was what? Jordan rolling his head back and imagining what it would be like for bees to come back to Milwaukee. Um someone better would be great, but <laughs> how uh I mean Will Barton is better. I mean yeah if we're talking about the Shabazz Muhammad Michael Beasley game. There's a scale here. Obviously Shabazz <laughs> Muhammad's at the top, then Will Barton. Anyway, moving on. Um, from at MK Robert again, who do you each like in the conference finals? As in, who do you think will win the conference finals matchups? Um, I still think the Cavs will come out of the East. I mean, that's that's purely about LeBron. I mean, there's there's no other reason to think that, but I think he's a pretty good reason to think that. I don't know. I mean, part of this is I don't watch a lot of Warriors. I only kind of realize this when I get to the playoffs. One, they're on really late. Two, I mean, I seem to have carved out this basketball watching niche for myself where I don't watch the really good basketball. You know, <laughs> I don't. Why would I? Why would like I let myself do that? Problematic basketball. I think that, yeah, there's something I need. You know, I need. Maybe I need to relate to it, Jordan. That's yeah. that's my view. What's about, but. <laughs> I feel like the Rockets have a good chance. What I have seen at the, the Warriors, I don't think they're quite taking. Obviously, when Steph came back in the conference semifinals, they were able to go up a gear. I would feel like that should be an interesting series. I would be, I would like to be brave enough to say the Warriors or the Rockets will, will cause an upset, but they probably won't. They were probably getting cows Warriors again from where I'm sitting. Yeah, I think unless... Uh, in terms of the Western Conference Finals, I think unless Clint Capella is playing at 
a level in which he necessarily like negates the move of Draymond Green to center when they want to, when the Warriors actually want to like destroy the Rockets. I think that's the only shot necessarily that the Rockets have. Of course, if uh, Chris Paul and James Harden are on there, like they're playing as well as they have been, especially Chris Paul, because he has been on a tear, especially in the semifinals. So I think Clint Capella, if he's playing at a very high level, I think the Rockets have a great chance. Otherwise, it's going to be a Warriors annihilation. They also need their Eric Gordons, Ryan Andersons to play at their very best because you are making up for that, you know, the, the top end talent is just better in Golden State. They, they have more players. This is the reason why the super team was a big deal when it formed because they were always going to have this advantage. Um, Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson are completely capable of having like a seven game stretch where they go supernova and they play like they're megastars. Um, the, the Rockets just needed to happen right now. And off the top of my head, I think both guys have been inconsistent at best recently. I don't even think Ryan Anderson's been playing a lot. Yeah. No, he's been in and out of the rotation. Didn't Eric Gordon? Eric Gordon had a big game. Was that the game they closed out the semifinals? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's a kind of significant disadvantage the Rockets have to overcome. What's your East feeling, Ron? I still believe in the Cavaliers as you were saying solely because of LeBron. Uh, I think this game one was almost in sense like he was he was observing he was trying to see what what's going on what what the celtics have to throw at him and he was he wasn't he wasn't in like full attack mode in game one it was more he was passive not like in the sense like he wasn't just annihilating people and getting to the rim like he always can do but he was trying to get teammates involved trying to find passing angles and i think I think in game two, he'll he'll turn it on and actually prove that he's the unstoppable force that he has been for like the last decade. So I'm gonna I'm gonna still take the Cavaliers in this series, even though Boston has shown that they are going to be a formidable opponent. Jordan. I like the Globetrotters coming out of the East, and I like the Washington Generals coming out of the West. Oh, setting <laughs> up for great finals. Yep. <laughs> I'll sit here and wait for your real answers, Jordan. Okay. I like, uh, I don't know. I uh, The East Finals are just so boring to me. I'm done watching the Celtics team. They're just, <laughs> I'm just done. Like, I understand. Why? Because the, the story, like, they, they're they outperforming. But they're and... not. That just means don't look at Twitter while the Celtics are playing or mute. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just Jackson, saying, you know? I, I mean, don't want to see a Celtics team that doesn't isn't deep enough and I don't want to I'm done watching a Cavs team that as great as LeBron is like you have no idea what else is gonna like you can expect from them um I'm all in on the West Finals uh in terms of just what entertains me of entertaining basketball (laughs) um yeah I I I think it's gonna be Cavs Warriors regardless yeah I think that's true I I, I, that's kind of depressing in a way I, but then is it? I mean, do we want? I don't. I don't think. It, do we I want think it Celtic be, Warriors? That might be no, more. That'd be worse. No. Um, or, or would it be? I mean, that's at this point. Yes. Yes, it would. I mean, it's not going to be as entertaining <laughs> because you don't have LeBron. But what if the what if the Celtics can even give a game of finding things defensively? You're talking. I'll have to, to, I'll have to quit the thing. internet if the Celtics win. 
Uh, I mean, who cares about the internet? I mean, it'd be better if the internet just quit itself from them. That's that's really what we're at here. But I, I think the thing with Cavs Celtics that's kind of worth pointing out is the Cavs just need to win one game on the road. And that's you know, they didn't lose a home game to open the series. Um the Bucks lost the first two games. They did, didn't they? I haven't I haven't got that yeah, wrong. Did. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um and they managed to go and take it seven games. And yeah. if the Bucks can do that, I feel like LeBron and his Cavaliers can do that. Um, this has been something of a source of discussion, so while we're on it, we might as well touch on it briefly. Does the Bucks' first-round series, or how they played, does that look differently to you? Has your perception of that changed a little by what the Celtics did to the 76ers, or now what they... I mean, as much as we can dismiss Game 1, they completely dismantled the Cavaliers in Game 1. So, how do we feel now about the Bucks? Obviously, at the moment, having pushed them harder than anyone else, what does that say about the Bucks? What does that say about the Celtics? I mean, should we care more about that now than we did two weeks ago when the series finished? I mean, you can always read into it in the sense that, in if you're if we're going to say that the reason that the Bucks lost the series, if we can point it to like necessarily one thing, one thing could be that they lost it because of coaching. I'm not saying that's why they did, but I'm saying that's a possibility. There was a detriment in the coaching that led to problems with the Bucks. And if we're going off the thing that they like, the Bucks are going to be hiring a new coach, obviously, and if like a new coach can actually help this team that almost came close to beating like this Boston Celtics team on talent alone. That's really promising. That actually makes me feel good as a Bucks fan. Jordan. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm looking at that. I'm not looking at the rearview mirror. I'm like Jimmy Butler taking it off. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I understand where people are coming from and um but i just it's not i'm i'm no I'm, I'm not looking to kind of salvage some moral victory out of this you know this past season really um that's where i stand on it yeah i wrote about this today and i think where i'm at with this is that book's team is gone that book's team is dead it's the exact 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 group of players could come back next season and it's a different team. That's what that's what the coaching change means. I mean, so much of who they are, how they play, is defined by that. That I can't take any sort of sauce of oh well look how close they were then when we start a new season, because I would hope they have nothing in common with that team, you know, except for Yanis is there. You know, it's like there are very significant changes and I, I think if anything, all that's been shown up by the Celtics' subsequent run and people now looking to revisit, oh, well, what if what if the Bucks were good? Um, I was very adamant on this from the start. I picked Celtics in five for this reason. I think the Celtics are much better than people generally want to give them credit for going into the series, and the Bucks were not as good in a lot of ways. And the ways where the Bucks were really good, um, which was talent, Giannis, you know what they had overall, was still overlooking. I think. The idea of, oh, well, Giannis, you know, the best player will overcome the coaching difference. Coaching just, coaching can be about too many things. It's a really vague word for all of the things we can ascribe to the books in terms of problems, in terms of not having identity, um, not maybe having the kind of resilience or togetherness that they could have. 
then it crosses over to not having the right kind of systems, not making the right adjustments in game, not having the kind of aces up your sleeve to to pull some magic after timeouts, whatever it is. All of that can come under coaching. And that was a lot that was working against the books in the series. For me, it's like, oh, well, they lost in seven games. And maybe the books are better. Maybe they were in that form. But they lost in seven games, so we didn't get to find out. You know, the Sixers would have been the test. We'd be like, okay, um, what can they do with that? The books did a lot of stuff in the last couple of years in spite of themselves. You know, a lot of good things. And I think that's one example, but I just hope that it wouldn't be relevant because if they fix so many of their things, you know, the books will be one of the best teams in the East next season. And that will be entirely unrelated to saying, oh, well, the Celtics were one of the best teams in the East this year. The books pushed them to seven games. It'd be a completely different thing. We know the books could be one of the East's best teams. That has nothing to do with what we saw in that series, though. For them to be that, they need so much more to happen that I'm kind of just like, yeah, you know, it's done. But this is, for the first time in my time covering this team, there is a clear break where we can say, okay, whatever that was is done, there is going to be something different. Whether it's for better, you can imagine it will be for better. I don't know how it could get worse with the players they have, but whether it's for better or worse, you're going to get something different. And yeah, I mean, sure, the books could be better than the Celtics next year. They'll have their star player may even be better than the Celtic stars all healthy. If you get a right coach in place and he gets a system and, you know, maybe you can make some moves, maybe you can make a trade, whatever it is. There, there is a route to that. It's just, it's unlikely. But if they get there, it won't be because they pushed the Celtics to seven for me. I think that's a, that's a chapter of books history that we should probably close now. And I will be very, I'll be very happy to be the one to do it. I will slam that chapter of the book down. You know, it's, it's time for Ducks to move on and become a different team. I'm tired of this identityless team, you know? It's very, very, very frustrating. More than anything, just be something, books, you know? Okay, you can yeah. be good or bad, but be something. Let us know what the team is. Yeah. I don't I don't think that was that wasn't a rant. Jordan normally points to my rants. I don't on the rant scale, I, I'd say that, that that's a solid five. So it's teetering on the edge. Okay, five is five is okay. Um, from uh, MK Robert again, how many people tweeted each of you when the Woj story mistakenly indicated that Bud could get ownership stake as part of a potential deal? I'm very flattered by this question, Robert, but I think you overrate our influence to a degree. I mean, sometimes that happens. I can't pretend that it doesn't happen. It it certainly happens in certain stories. People will start tweeting. Um, I put one tweet out, which was about, you know, there was another coach that I could think of who did have an ownership stake in the team he was coaching recently. I, did you see that tweet, Jordan? I don't know. I know you were not around, but if not, I'd be curious if you could think, guess. I don't think... Do you know who it was? kid right where brooklyn yeah or... correct it was in yeah. brooklyn um he actually he bought jay-z's share when jay-z had to sell his shares um, that's that's the real that's the real story so when jay-z had to sell his shares he bought about 50 percent of his shares. A rapper to another rapper because we all know <laughs> jay-z kiss <laughs> And, um, mr 305 i, I mean the thing with this and i I talked about it on Twitter with Rowan at the time, and some people kind of interacted with me on it. I don't think it would have been a big deal if that report was actually true. 
I, I really don't. Aaron Rodgers has an ownership stake, and people are going to wor- be worried about someone who's actually relevant <laughs> to the franchise getting an ownership stake. I mean, a kid's ownership stake, to actually point that in Brooklyn, was one-fifteenth of a percent. So it's like, it was it was valued at half a million That's dollars. That's a pretty big stake. Yeah, one-fifteenth of a percent. Half Throwing. a million dollars. If it was a way that the books decided, oh, you know, we want to give you this extra half million dollars, I'd say, okay, cool. If that's enough for Budenholzer to be like, bye, Toronto, I'm going to Milwaukee. Yeah, let's do that. Um, it turns out it is not true. Well, we just clarify that. I can further say it is 100% untrue. 100%. That is not their plan. But yeah, people freaked out, freaking out just about, you know, what what sort of dysfunction is this? I mean, it's not people actually do that now. Aaron Rodgers again. And I tried to search for this because I said this recently and I couldn't find it, but I know it was true. I'm 99% sure that James Blake also has an ownership stake. James Blake? Not the that musician. Sounds, yeah, that's tennis player. That, yeah, that sounds right. I, I'm 99% certain. And they've done that because hey, it means nothing to be like, oh, here's 10 shares, you know? It doesn't mean anything. So, um, Oh, I have a share in the Bucks. <laughs> I do not. I do not have that. Full disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. But, hey, um, if they... It's not... It's funny. I'm curious as to your thoughts. I don't think there would be a problem being like, oh, here's an element of your contract. We're giving you this as you sign with us. And, you know, if you do well, if the team performs well, this will be worth more value to you. How about that? I mean, what's well, kind of weird about that? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I, at this point, I'm familiar with how people react to anything related to the team, related to Get ownership. So it's not surprising. But yeah, we didn't really get... I'll speak for myself. I didn't get a whole lot of tweets until I tweeted about it. And I've taken a new approach. It was decided in recent days. I basically put it to the public and the public let me know that, uh, yeah, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to tweet about stuff anymore. <laughs> That's basically what it. This is about Air Bud. Tweet about Air um, Bud. I need to watch that if I'm going to tweet about it. Um, from at MKE Robert, what do you make of horse handling the first round of interviews with ownership coming in for the second round? Seems reasonable to me, but I've seen concern that this is quote unquote meddling ownership. Granted, if some previously unnamed coach gets hired, I'll tend to agree. Um, that last part is important for me because I think that's a large part of what books Twitter is deciding to do is, oh, it's funny. I'm going to bring words like process and results into this here. It's not intentional. It's just the only way you can speak about this. Um, a process can be good and a result can be bad. That, that is possible. There's yeah. also you can have a really bad process, a bad result, and then learn from that and come back and do something the right way a year later. You know, this is exactly, I don't even want to say how any NBA team works. This is how every like organization of any size works. You know, any scalable business, you'll have kind of top level executives, then you'll have ownership. They'll make their decisions, they'll make recommendations, and they'll all come together and they'll say, okay, this is what we want to do. There's this fancy out there. This may border into rant territory, so I'm going to cut it short before I do that, Jordan. But there's this fantasy that, you know, you can have this NBA decision-making process that doesn't involve owners. Let's just get the guy. He can make the decisions. And the owners who spent $500 million to buy the team, right? Yeah. Sounds good. Um, I don't know. They they covered half the cost of the new arena, which 
four hundred million. Am I right? I think that? no, they'd give like two fifty. I want to say. Yeah, I, I think that went up, did it not? But anyway, okay, I'm not going to quibble over 150 million because 250 is significant enough to make the point. We're up to 750 million. They've bought and put infrastructure in place for a G League franchise. They've built a new practice facility. This is aside from many of their other investments. I mean, you're talking over a billion dollars worth of investment, and that's not including the salaries they pay to players, to personnel in the front office, in tickets, in everything, every single year. And you want people with that much money involved, people who had to be interested enough to buy it in the first place to be like, nah, you make the decisions we don't want to know. It doesn't happen. Why would it happen? It's insane. There was actually a time in the NBA, and I don't know, maybe it's just something that is forgotten about, that fans really wanted engaged ownerships, where Mark Cuban and like his interest in the basketball side and what he did was a really important thing. And teams wanted that because there were a lot of disinterested owners who owned their team. It was their local team. And they didn't make the best decisions if they did get involved. I don't know if any of this sounds familiar. I'm not trying to paint Herb Cole as a disinterested owner because he clearly wasn't. But he had a different kind of interest in the team, I think it's fair to say. More of a symbolic interest. Would I be wider the mark in saying that? I think that's, I think that's right. So this is a different ownership group who are very much invested both you know mentally and financially in the team um yeah they should make decisions that's the process would be weirder if ownership weren't making decisions i I hate to say it if the people who actually own the team were not getting to make decisions that would be weird now their own their own little arrangements um of how they make those decisions yeah there are problems there i don't think it takes anyone to kind of you know recognize the fact that a majority can lose in terms of owners who have like equal share. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Not going to lie. But this process in terms of, oh, the guy they trusted to be their basketball decision maker is going to get a list of names of basketball coaches, submit to them, and then together they'll sit down and make a decision. So yeah, that's kind of like textbook how to make a decision. You know, how to make a decision in business for dummies. That would be page one. So, I don't know. I, I guess the concern... You can, have, you can have the other way around. By the way, that's a six on the Rand scale. I'll, I'll say that's a six. Burn wow. six. You interrupted um, me, so you cut it short. So it's probably for the best. <laughs> but you can have like a situation with the, the Grizzlies where that's another kind of strange ownership agreement. And Robert Pera, from what we saw in the last couple of weeks, he, you know, buy or I guess put... I, I, st- I don't understand I think that. He bought, I mean, the remain- he bought the shares off of the other two. That's right. Yes. Owners, yeah. There was an option he's, day. There was an option day he could turn it down and sell his part of the team. And it passed. Yes. And he's notori- notoriously, like, you know, pretty non existent in terms of decisions and all that stuff. I don't think that reflects that well on him either. So you could have it on. On you can have ownership meddling and every little decision, uh, basketball decision, or you can have a guy that's completely unaware and is you know owns the team but has nothing uh, like n- nothing over the over any decision that you know the front office makes. You want to have some sort of balance where it's a collaboration. It's not necessarily this you know uh, uh, just happy medium. Obviously, the whole other angle of the whole governorship where. We saw it, last that's summer. That's the own thing, really, is the yes, point. Yes. I, I mean, the 
there I see a lot of tweets of well you shouldn't have three owners. Two of them need to buy the other or one needs to buy the other two out. And it's like what? What this is not how it works. NBA teams are valuable. They're expensive to buy. There aren't many individuals who just go, oh, I'm owning this team. That's like if you're Paul Allen or you're Steve Ballmer, who are, you know, kind of a different level of billionaire. They are a certain type of guy. There is the only reason why, you know, LED gets talked about and it's kind of pushed this way is because all three of them are interested and engaged in it. Um, I guess to further flesh this out, related to Budenholzer, also related to my first experience of what an NBA ownership group is like, uh, I kind of came through my early years of watching the NBA when the Hawks are owned by the Atlanta Spirit Group, which I recommend if those of you who are not familiar with the Atlanta Spirit Group, go look them up. They not only lost, was it the Trashers? Was the Trashers the NHL team in yep. Atlanta? Um, they lost the Trashers for the city. Um, they also, where it all fell apart, they hated each other. They were a large group with family divides that ultimately conspired against each other. Let the whole thing fall apart when the race scandal with Danny Ferry came out, when Bruce Levinson's memos leaked. That all happened internally because the ownership were infighting. And you were talking about a massive group, not three guys. There's nothing unusual about multiple guys having ownership, having say. Um, we have certainly reports, and again, it all really comes down to the, govern the governorship, that there's some weird things in the way it works with the books. What we don't have is reports that, you know, owner A despises owner B and will purposefully, you know, disagree with anything they want to do. We're, we're not at that level, and it feels like very regularly things are made out to be at that level. Trust me, when we get to that level, I will be the first to rail against it. I will be the first. We're not there right now. I, they made a really bad mess of last offseason in terms of the search for, for GM. Really messed it up. I don't know how publicly they've acknowledged it, but I feel like it's been implied in a lot of what they've done. Maybe the result is good. I don't know if it is. It's probably too soon to know. Maybe it is good. Maybe horse turns out to be okay you can't assume everything they're going to do is going to be a disaster because they made a mess of their first real process because they didn't do anything. They just like the first time let's hire a kid. He knows basketball. Let's hire him. Like the first time they really held the search process was last year. It was a disaster. This one seems better. If the result is positive, I mean, well, then it would be time to move on from the horse thing. It's happened. If horse is a bad GM, he'll eventually lose his job. Yeah. I'm done now, Jordan. Don't add the two bits together. Yeah, that's a bumped up to a seven. So it's a 13. <sighs> seven is mild. I feel like we could have done this a few days ago and I would have earned a 10 and no one else would have got to speak. Um, from, from at Alex underscore Kenny 023, what would you think of a possible Greg Monroe return and at what price point would it need to be for you to like the deal? I love Moose. Um, I don't see what it does. The books were not the best team in the NBA with Greg Monroe and then really lost without him. I'm not all that fussed. If they get him for a minimum, hey, let's bring back Moose. If it's cheap, I mean, they can't do anything really. So I don't know. In theory, it would be nice, the idea of him coming back. In terms of actually making it happen or what it does, what difference it makes, I don't think it does. Agreements, disagreements, what am I hearing? Yeah, I, I don't really see it moving the needle at all. 
I also don't think it happens, first of all. That yeah. it just never really happens to the NBA. Um I don't know what Moose's feelings are about the books, to be quite honest. Um I mean Jordan has long held theories about what he feels like about Milwaukee and certain buildings in Milwaukee that he likes. But yeah, I don't I don't know what he feels about the books. Um, Moose's comments around the playoffs and before that about you know the prospect of facing the books not all that great you know um i think he likes his teammates maybe there are people behind the scenes and even front office that he likes certainly did like a certain mr kid and that may have just marred his feelings on the organization overall yeah i think that ship has sailed and otherwise if he does have an interest in returning back i mean we gotta have marlon wayne's on speed dial is speed dial a thing by the way you can say favorites in your context favorite yeah there we go my fa- my fave five, remember fave five? I think that was a T-Mobile. Yeah. From M. Becker, US, why has a Marcus Johnson's number been retired? He is better than quite a few of the ones up there now. This is the ongoing question that it's probably like two years ago now I wrote a piece on this that it needed to happen, and I really thought it would. I mean, they have every opportunity to do it. I would guess it might happen next year. New arena if they want to have a, a night of some sort. They have they have retired quite a lot of numbers. I think that is one thing. And there is a different ownership group and they may feel choosier about who should be up there. Um I mean this ownership group have only retired Bob Dandridge's and Bob Dandridge won a championship. So maybe there is a certain standard. I just think the the problem that comes with that is there are names up there who no no real disrespect to them it's not saying that they're not deserving or they're not books greats but marcus johnson is very obviously better and now the fact that he's back in the organization and is held in such esteem on books i mean who doesn't like marcus johnson i don't think i've ever seen anything negative about marcus johnson from books fans ever and i mean that is amazing really that's he might be the only person on the planet i could say that about in terms of books fans there are even books fans who did you say Giannis? Yeah. You don't check out our Facebook comments very often, Jordan. Oh, good God. <laughs> Even the Facebook comments don't dislike Marcus Johnson. So I think Marcus Johnson might be the only person on the planet that's true for. I I think it should happen. Um, did it not happen because Larry Sanders was number eight? Did, is it not <laughs> happening because Matthew Delvadova was number eight? Well, if either of those things are the reason, <laughs> maybe they might want to revisit the reasoning. Oh, yeah, that's true. So... Adele have to change numbers then? Um, they could let him wear it, and then when he's gone, just not let anyone else wear it. I would think Regular, that's a sensible thing. Marcus Aldridge, Bruce Bowen situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would seem a little bit strange for him to make an exception to allow Matthew Delvadova to wear a retired jersey. <laughs> but hey, I mean, is very popular within the organization. Hey, after after that play where in game, wow, I forget which game it was, that game second four. quarter. Game four? That was game four? Okay. You were in the building, Jordan, right? Oh, yeah. I was fired up. (laughs) He he can do whatever he wants. Is that one of your favorite moments, books moments live in person all time? It must be up there. Yeah, probably. And then you had the Zarba situation. Uh, Yeah, but I mean a real moment, Jordan, not a like... That is a real moment. Don't you dare. Not a... Not a Blasphemy. novelty moment. I mean, like oh, a real novelty. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a novelty moment. No one's anyway. Um, 
Throw at DB Sweeney underscore 2016. If you guys were in the room while they were interviewing these coaching candidates, what would be the first question you would ask them? Schemes, player relationships, or something else? I have a take on this. Jordan's laughing. That's not encouraging. I'll let Rowan go first. I was going to throw it to both of you to hear your thoughts because oh, no. I have a take. But Jordan laughing has left me a little bit, you know. I'm walking on eggshells here. Rome, what would you be looking for from a coach if you're in the interview room? Um, if I was conducting this interview, I'd probably let's see. What what's a what's a bad game that the Bucks had last season? Like, yeah, I guess this past I think season. that's that's relative. There's a few different types, <laughs> which okay, is not great look. to begin with, but you could have like the Nuggets like game, Matt where they game. completely melted down in spite of doing some really good things at some points. You could have the game where the Jazz set a franchise record for three-pointers made. <laughs> oh, my God. You could have... The, I mean, the, the Mavericks game. The Mavericks. Any Mavericks game ever is always... I mean, that's the one thing about Rick Carlisle coming out and saying he's not interested. I don't blame Rick Carlisle, because anytime he gets to see the books up close, <laughs> he's, not, he's not exactly seeing a whole lot of appeal. Books Mavericks games are the worst games on the planet. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like let's say, oh, wasn't there that Sunday afternoon uh, Bulls game that they lost? I'm sure there was. That sounds like nope, it fits a lot of criteria. Um, they lost two games to the Bulls this season. So yeah, yeah. You're basically you're saying you'd lead with some sort of problem solving. Is it how would you do things differently, or how would you fix this? Yeah, I would say I'd sh- like. Go through the game tape and say, what's wrong? What are you going to do? Jordan? Do you like pineapple on pizza? You know, that's better. A question I'm more interested in than I thought I would be. Um, I don't actually know how you feel about this, though, Jordan. So what would you what would you be looking for as the answer? I've never had it. <laughs> Ooh, try it. It's good. Oh, Rowan. <laughs> Uh, See, here come here we go. We don't need the to debate do rages on. <laughs> we don't need to do this. Um, what were we talking about? First question you'd ask any. I'm just, coach I'm just letting the mist clear that revelation. We're getting on so well, Ron. Um, A pineapple mist. <laughs> I wouldn't ask them anything first. I'd be looking for them to tell me why they want to coach the books. I mean, treat it treat it as what it is. I I want to hear other people's ideas rather than projecting mine onto them. If that makes sense, I don't yeah. want the front office or ownership leading with, how would you fix this? Because I want someone who is on the outside, hasn't been a part of, you know, buying into at any point, some of the things that are going wrong to say, I think this is the best way we can utilize what we've got or best way we can build going forward. So I wouldn't be saying a whole lot to begin with. I want to coach to sell me on it. This is a desirable job. Giannis is there. I mean, you can get to all of your own questions later about, okay, well, what exactly would you do this way defensively or whatever it is? But I would want to hear from candidates first. Like, are you going to change this? If you're changing it, how would you be changing it? And if you have to prod them for answers to those questions, I don't think that's great. I mean, it was it was put out there. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. I believe it was someone from the New York Post, Mark Berman, I think it was, that um, when Bud first started his kind of rotating chair of 
interviewing for teams, there were two teams he had presentations ready for, and that was the Knicks and the Bucks. And that would meet what I would want to hear. I would want I would want to hear how these people who have played the Bucks or have been in some, and I mean every candidate has been on in some organization elsewhere in the NBA and come up against the Bucks and have the game plan for them. Well, what would you do? Now, if you're going to be in this seat, what would you do? What did you see before that you would change? And I'd want to hear them give that proactively, as in, how are you doing this? That would be that'd be it for me. I'd ask questions later, but I want someone to sell me on why they're the person for the books rather than me asking questions to sell myself. I just have this visual scenario playing out where both parties are waiting for someone to ask a question. I think there's a, there's an office episode where Michael Scott's negotiating with Daryl on like a contract extension. And they don't say anything for like the first two minutes. And Michael's like waiting. It's like a chess match of like wh- whoever speaks first, like loses the upper hand immediately. That's how I would imagine it's. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Jordan, I guess it could go that way. Um, I'm, Maybe that's why it's been taking so long. I'm They're prepared to sit through the silence. I have no problem with silences. You know, I can, I could just let let the silence hang there and make them speak first. That's it, guys. That's it. That's the last question. That's it for us for now. Um, we'll be back. Who knows when? Um, could be very soon. Maybe another week when we come back and we're like, oh, we don't really have a whole Wednesday night. <laughs> um. Well, it won't be that soon because I'll be asleep. But that'll be basically we'll be back. Um, it's up to the books how soon we're back. And once all of this resolves, then we can figure out what we'll do for podcasts for the summer, and we'll get in some other stuff that I'm sure you're all eager to talk about. But until we know who's going to be, you know, captaining this ship next year, it's tough to talk about all the other things. We don't know what they're going to look like, so. Um, yeah, we'll be back when we're back. Um, you will know when the news is significant enough for us to be back. You will know. Watch out for us. Watch out for a call for mailbag questions. As always, I'm sure we will take them. In the meantime, you can subscribe to Snapple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and Favorites, and tune in radio. You can also read all of our work, mine, Jordan, Rowan, the rest of the teams, behindthebookpass.com. We'll be on top of all of it. We're doing season reviews. We're doing draft profiles. And that comes on top of all of your blasts of uh, coaching news. We're also, I mean, the books gaming season just started and we'll be covering that week to week. So something a little bit different, something new if you want to get into. And let me tell you, I was skeptical. It's not my thing. I'm not into that sort of stuff. It's fun. Um, you will see similarities and things that have been driving you crazy with the books for years and how they play, but it's fun. Yeah, we'll have all of that on behindthebookpass.com and we'll be back to you soon. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you, Ro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>